What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Tiffany Hoyd. And as always, you're listening to Hogs Havens Riled Up. We're riled up to bring you the hottest Washington football team topics with a twist. I'm here again with my co-host, Alana Bearfield. What's up, Alana? I'm doing great. What's up, Tiffany? And what's up to everyone who is listening in right now? I mean, things are still rather interesting on the fields for our burgundy and gold, but in the riled up world, things are pretty heating up and getting really exciting right now. They are getting very exciting. We have like this is going to blow the minds of everyone. We've been through all these weeks of torture and chaos and lack of clarity and direction for this moment. For this moment, Alana, we have none other than the great Hall of Fame, Walter Payton Man of the Year. What's the more credentials he has, Alana? The list just keeps going. I, I can't even remember because the list is so long. Man, the list keeps going on and on for this guy. Seven-time Pro Bowler, did it all as the itty-bitty guy. NFL 1990s All-Decade Team Corner. Two-time Super Bowl winner. Just a champion. Do you guys know who we have for you? You're, they're going to start taking us seriously, right, Alana? Seriously, okay. <laughs> they're going to they're gonna start taking us seriously when we say, DM us and tell us who you want on this show because you will not believe what has been able to come to today. We have Daryl Green. Say it louder one more time, Tiffany. I don't think they heard you in the back. Daryl Green, one of the greatest players in football history, not just Washington football history, one of the greatest cornerbacks in football history. Welcome to the show, Daryl. Hey, I'm glad to be on, good morning. Uh, it's a beautiful morning, and it's a beautiful morning in a pandemic, so we don't really get to experience it. And that that brings me to having you on the show and wanting to talk about something great that you're doing, a great initiative um, for COVID. You sit on the board of a company named Halodyne. Can you tell us about that company? Yeah, you know, it's interesting uh, the way I came into this. My son actually went to college with one of the doctors. His doctor, when he left University of Virginia, he went and graduated in medical school and he graduated top of his class and he was running the COVID team in, in uh, um, Connecticut uh, at his hospital, particular hospital. And, you know, he said he had on all the PPE, he said he was literally washing his face and hands all day. His face would be sore in the, in the, in the evening and he caught the COVID. His wife caught the COVID. His eight-year-old caught the COVID. His six-year-old caught the COVID. His three-year-old caught it. And so it's like, man, how can we do our job? You know, a lot of healthcare people are really, you know, under the gun. And so uh, a bunch of chemists and doctors, including him, got together and created this. This, this medicine has really been around about 50 years. So there's sort of a added and some reformulations is what they've got, you know, patent and, and it works. So at the end of the day, the COVID virus, no matter where it is, it came, you can guarantee this, that it came from someone's nostrils or what they call nasal pharynx or their, their throat, their oral pharynx. That's where it goes in. That's where it domiciles. That's where it lives and grows and incubates before between four and maybe three, four hours and three days before you finally have the virus. So I'm not a doctor, but I know all of that information that it does go into that. That's why they say cover your mouth, cover your, cover your nose. So it goes in there and as a period of time, 
it's the same thing that when it gets on your hands, if you touch the doorknob, now it's on your hand. So unless you touch your face or your sandwich, you're okay. Yeah. You know, and so now you go and sanitize your hands. Same thing this this uh, this uh, product does is it sanitizes the nostrils, it sanitizes the orals, and so. But the good thing about and I'm I'm not sure about hand sanitizer. I don't know if it, it it'll do it in 15 seconds, but how long does it last? Mm -hmm. Can I just go the rest of the day touching stuff because I'm sanitized with my hands? I know that this will do it for four hours. So you come to work in the morning, you can do it. And then now you're good to lunchtime. Then you do it again. You're good to the evening. And then I would say, you know, like the you know different teams that we have uh, using it, there. You know, I, I suggestion, hey, do it in the morning. Do it at lunchtime. Go out on the practice field. When you come in, shower. Do it again. So about three times a day. So Holodyne is is out there. It's not going to cure you. It's going to. It works on the front mm -hmm. end. It works on the front end of the virus in the same way. Washing your hands. You're sanitizing your nostrils. So. It's, um, you know, I hope that this will really get out there across the country because, I mean, I don't go out the door without it. Right. Now, here's the deal. Wear your mask. Do all the protocols. If you can social distance, we call it the three Ds or four Ds, social distancing, distancing. Uh, when, when we talk about duration, meaning if you're in a store or in a group, control how long you're in that group because what happens in that is that what, the, what they call the viral load. So the more people, the more time, the load is getting bigger. So the, the third, uh, second D is distance, uh, the duration. And the third D is um, is the, divers, the, what they call the diversification. Meaning if you live in a community like I do with my mother-in-law around the corner, my brother-in-law around the corner, my other brother, I kind of know where they are. So if they come over and hang out, I got a kind of an idea where they've been and who they've been with. But if you're in a place where people, he flew in from Chicago, she drove in from New York, well, you don't know the diverse experiences that they've had. So the fourth D is diversification. And then the fifth, four, or the third D is diversification, but then the fourth D is disinfectant. So if you can't do the first three, you can come back with the last three, but we, we agree with masks. We agree with the protocol, wash your hands, distance. We agree with all of that. And that, that makes sense. You have to do that. But our slogan is a mask is not enough. So this gives you an added protection and particularly in environments where you can't wear masks, like a football player and different people, they can't wear masks. So this gives you that added protection uh, to, to make sure that within the protocol of saying, I'm taking a test, which tells me what, I have it or I don't have it. I'm washing my hands to try to make sure it's not on them. And I'm wearing a mask to try to make sure it doesn't get in me. I think this is the only thing that when it gets in you has the ability to, before it becomes a full-blown virus, to disinfect it out of you. So it's a, it's a I, hey, it's, it's a tough, we're in a tough moment, but it's, it's things like these that are produced by people like doctors and scientists whose life is on the line every day that we can have confidence in. You know, Halodyne is, is really interesting of what you guys are doing over there. And, you know, you sit on the board and I, I, like you said, it's an added protection. It's something that everyone should be using on top of their mask and hand sanitizer. And especially in different uh, areas, like you mentioned, football. Uh, so Halodyne is being used at Clemson, Penn State and Washington football team, which is amazing. But how did you get from football to medicine? I mean, usually football players kind of kind of stay away from the medicine realm, do not even want to touch it. So how did you get there? 
Yes, an interesting question. That's a good, a great question, actually. I, so I, you know, I played 20 years. I'm 60 years old right now. And I was throughout all my career when I was, I ended up playing until I was 43. So I had a colonoscopy while I was playing when nobody could spell colonoscopy in the <laughs> locker room. Matter of fact, like, oh, you had a colonoscopy, what's that? So, you know, when you play, when you're that old, you know, you get that you have a different experience when my teammate is 20 and I'm 42. So um, I, I created this thing called Join the Green Team Against Colorectal Cancer. I work with the Cancer Society and Edna to do that because of that very fact that, dude, y'all don't even know, y'all brothers don't even know about a colonoscopy. You're not even familiar with that. And so I end up going from there to the quit smoking campaign. My father-in-law died of cigarette smoking, lung cancer. And next thing I know, I was in a quit smoking campaign for many, many years, about 11, 12 years. I got, I had a campaign with COPD. Uh, I had a fit for fit, that, uh, fit for 50 that I created this program with a hospital system. Uh, um, I created a company called Walk Fit Health. I just have found myself, I don't know, I fell into it. I don't know, you know, if that's, that don't sound so good, but it just kind of, I fell that way. And I was always been, you know, and plus I was kind of a, a guy who um, kind of, you know, I'm, I'm older, but I'm, I'm young. I'm playing a young man's game. I don't really look like I'm 60 or I'm old, whatever. So I, I've always could play in that, in that arena, I guess. So I don't know. I just fall into it, fell into it. But then when my son classmate, uh, this doctor, they were just communicating and I was kind of got in that conversation and there it was. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking with it. <laughs> okay. All right. So that brings me to how can regular everyday people get this? Cause we're talking about the athletes, but eventually we're going to want this mass market is going to want this. How long is that process going to take? Just had a board meeting yesterday as you, you asked that and we were talking about that because we really don't, you're right. We really, really wasn't a, even though it's an OTC over the counter drug, you don't have to have a, a prescription. We really hadn't really focused on the on the public, but I think if you go to Holodine, H-A-L-O-D-I-N-E.com, you can send in some information and that's gonna come in the next week or so where you will be able to get a packet of 10, 20, 30, whatever, whatever, uh, because the recommendation is minimally two times a day, maybe three times a day. Uh, and, and you know, I, if, if I only could get it once a day, I would take it, but uh, yeah. Go to holodyne.com and check it out. Don't tell them, don't tell them the board member told you. <laughs> We're getting up. Tell them, hey, we gotta get this stuff to the public. But yes, yeah, normally trying to go to the big communities, you know, and get bigger mass of people uh, and let it push out from there. But we just had that conversation. And and so yeah, it will be, it will be in the next seven days, maybe 14 days, you you should be able to easily get it as an individual. And that's absolutely amazing that, you know, everyday people like us, we can just have access to this. Um, like you said, yeah. it's another extra protection for us because COVID-19 is real. Yeah. It is a scary thing to be in this world. Yeah. And, you know, having Halodyne like that, you know, pharmaceutical companies like what you're doing is absolutely amazing. But, you know, since you sit on the board, how long did the process take to come up with um, Halodyne? Uh, and how long did it, you know, get, get the ball rolling for this? Well, the, the, the company wasn't focusing on this particular product until uh, Dr. Kojo uh, caught the virus. And he's a part, and it's all doctors and chemists. Um, uh, uh, Professor Colin Knuckles from Columbia University, 
uh, in, Columbia University uses it as well. Um, and all these doctors. Uh, and so we as well, a running joke, you have to either be a doctor or a pro football hall of famer to be yeah. on, on the board. Yeah. But, uh, and I'm, I'm, the, I'm the only one, uh, none doctor, but <clears throat> they, they changed their focus when, when Dr. Kojo caught the virus. They were focusing on something else and they had to turn their focus. And, and he was sort of a, a, a study case study and in the process. And so I, I don't know all of it, but that's what kind of created it. And it had to happen quickly because how can these guys go to work? How can they do their job when he's covered up with everything? And I can just tell you a couple of weeks ago, he called me, say pops, he called me pops, said pops. I just got out of 42 operations, like, man, you've been involved in 42 operations in the hospital today. He even told me the youngest person died in his arms was a 38 year old woman. And it's like, man, so this is not, hey man, we're big businessmen and we're trying to get paid. This is, this is necessity for life. And that's what the whole issue is in our country that, man, we gotta take this stuff serious. And just because, and unfortunately, some people, they weren't there in Seattle. They weren't there in New York. They weren't in the, at uh, what they call ground level, you know, uh, that's the term they use uh, um, when the tower in uh, New York uh, at ground level. Yeah, You may not have been at ground level when it all went down, or you may not know anybody Mm -hmm. that died from it. You've only seen stuff and heard about it, but it's real. I know people that have died. I know people have caught it. I got nieces, different ones in college. So it is real and you're exactly right. Um, it got to get out to the rest of the people, but, but, but how it happened with them was it was at ground level. It was at ground level. And that brings me to, I can, I can sense the, the humanitarian in you, that person that is striving to like make the world a better place. And you were a winner of the Walter Payton man of the year. Where does all that stem from? Well, you know, I, I actually grew up in t- Texas, a, a family of seven children. My parents did get divorced when I was 10, about 1970. And uh, I loved my parents, <clears throat> but I had a dream of, of being better than them. I love them, I'm not mad at them, but I, when I was 10 years old, I just thought, man, when I get a chance to, when the bat is in my hand, I'm gonna try to hit a home run. And so I've been faithfully married 35 years, never cheated on my wife. Uh, and so I, and I became a Christian in college and that's really what has driven my, my way of life, to raise my kids and, and, and to teach them uh, the godly way and to teach them to go beyond. Let's take from where we come from, from my grandfather and great-grandfather, my father to me, and let's keep being better and better and better not better at making money or better at being, you know, getting education, but let's be better in godliness. And so that's been my focus. And from that, um, I said this, you know, I don't know if you guys remember when the Washington football team changed their name from the Washington Redskins. I did a probably 17 interviews, Mm -hmm. some of them sitting right here on this deck. And I talked about the fact that in all of creation, the greatest and most valued of all creations is human beings. So if human beings is number one, even obviously they're not treated as number one, what if we went back to human beings being number one, meaning anything related to where it's a human being, then human beings win. So if it's trees, if it's chickens, if it's monkeys, if it's rabbits, human beings Mm -hmm. win. And so if if we, my attitude is, if you're gonna be after something you can be after your widgets and your 
technologies. That's, I mean, I, that's fine. But if we make human beings one, and so that's been my drive. My drive has always been, if I could take the foolishness of a childhood game that I played, used to play touch on the street, tackle on the grass. They remember the childhood game. And America made it into something huge and they make millions, 30, 40 million, the quarterback in Kansas City, millions to play a childhood game. Then we can take that influence, we can take those resources, we can take that access, we can take that opportunity and we can turn it toward human beings and the betterment of human beings in anything and everything that we can find ourselves put our hands to. And so that's the basis of how I try to live. But that comes from the fact that Jesus died for me as a human being. He became one so that I can be a righteous man. And so that's what my drive is mm -hmm. and what God has given me like Moses, what's in your hand, that staff that was in Moses' hand. I have certain things, access of staff that's in my hand to come on here and talk to you in front of thousands of your viewers to talk about subjects around the betterment of humans, whether it's godliness or whether it's healthy, being healthy or stop smoking or whatever the case may be. But it's, it's just taking the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. That's what the scripture says. And so I'm not some great guy. Oh, wow, he's great. I'm just another man that's been born of, of the spirit and tried by the grace of God to think that way and think outside of myself and think about somebody else. But and sometimes I get paid for it. And I'm not, and I don't, I don't apologize for that. That's always a plus, but you're not just a regular man. I mean, 20 seasons at the Washington football team, 20 from 1983 to 2002. I mean, that's remarkable and seeing everything that you've accomplished on the field, but off the field. What are your thoughts on the quarterback situation in Washington right now? Well, you know, the young guy Haskins was the guy and I was a little, um, I felt like he should have stayed. You know, I try to stay out of that because I'm not really as big in football as I probably would be thought to be. I'm just kind of an outsider, you know, couch potato, sideline coach, you know, and the coaches probably hate me, you know, when they hear me say something. But, but I, you know, because I kind of talk just truth what I think. But I, I would have stayed with Haskins. I think the team is not that great, and he's young. And guess what? Just put him in there and let him take his shot. Let him take his shot and see what we can do. You're not going to win the championship this year, I don't believe. Your defense is good, but they're not great. The rest of the team is not great either. So, you know, I think that you're just hurting him potentially because I don't know how he can get better just, just sitting at home. So I don't know. I'm not a coach. Never wanted to really be a coach in that sense. Uh, and so I'm just, a, like I said, I'm, I'm a couch potato, you know, sideline coach. But, you know, I don't, I don't see any of the three being Pro Bowl or Hall of Famers. But he was a guy that was brought in to try to handle it. And I would say, let him handle it and give him a shot. And that is not to knock the other two quarterbacks. But I mean, he was the guy that had the ball in his hand. And I, I don't know if it was me, if I'd have taken it out of his hand that quick. And probably some fans would say, Daryl, you don't know what you're talking about. And hey, maybe I don't. <laughs> no, you know what you're talking about. You have enough experience. And you also have two of the three Super Bowls that this franchise had. Uh, or has. So I say that to say, what is the difference between the Washington football team's role that was winning championships and going to the playoffs and making things happen 
and this team right now, like what is the common denominator that needs to, you know, like change work ethic wise, like what is going on? You guys are good. Okay. <laughs> Y'all are good. I have to tell you, you guys are good. The way you work your way through things, you know, it makes all sense because these things connect, what you're asking, they do connect. And the way it connects is that <clears throat> we had a, we, I came into a team in a city that had historically been a, an, an extraordinary fan base community. They loved their team. And then the team in the earlier years, um, you know, if you go way back, we didn't have African-Americans and, and, the, and we had to get a guy to be able to play. Um, and then ultimately once we got going and then we were, we were a good team, you know, we're a team that, it, that kept the attention, uh, uh, of our, of our fans. And then back in the early years, they did go to a championship. I don't know if they won that championship. I'm not totally remembering. I think we may have lost in the championship. And then you got the coach called Joe Gibbs and he came in and, and, and he was a godly man and a character based guy. And saying, I want to bring guys in that, yes, he can run, jump, tackle, and he's an athletic, but I'm more concerned about how is he going to treat us, how is he going to treat his teammates when we're 12 and 0 and he's not getting the ball, will he be bickering about that? Hey, and how will he treat his teammates when we're 0 and 12? Will he be pointing fingers at his teammates saying, you guys are sorry? And so he brought in this, this new wave of character, this new wave of how he looked at people and, and, and the way we would approach the game as people, as a family, we would keep the outsiders out and we would keep ourselves inside. And so, and then it, and it also produced, you know, a lot of us, I, I, you know, I was a Christian here and I don't know if they, I, I don't think they was looking for Christians, but God sent some of us here by sovereignty. And we were concerned about our marriages and our communities. And we just, it was a culture that was built. Now, you can, I'm not saying they threw it away, but you also have to include that the whole American culture has changed. That mama and daddy that I grew up with, that even though they were divorced, they, they disciplined us and taught us right from wrong. And so it's a different world that we're getting our kids from. So they're coming from a different experience. And so the world is changing. And I always say that the players always come from, as they say in the, in the commercial, they come from a community near you. So everybody comes from, from, all they come from is where we live. They don't come from Mars. So if you look at your communities and the communities, then that's what you're gonna get that's gonna show up in your city. That, that guy's gonna come from that community that's gonna affect your community, your city and your team. And so there's a lot that goes into that, but it also, it starts at, at the top with the coaches and how the GMs pick the players and how the players come into this thing and how can they walk in two gum at the same time when they're making 20 million, can he really still uh, consider the values, the, still the values or does his resources and his access that I talked about and all that he get, does that take him out of his game? So now he just, he's not a value to us and he really doesn't bring what we used to bring. And so, this is really, you know, a lot to say, but, but we have to get back. The one thing I do love and appreciate about it is that that thing is not gone. It's not like, oh, it's done. Character is done. Love is done. Humility is done. Faithfulness is done. 
hard work is done. Ah, that's a lie. It's still available. And there are people out there, and not only people, but the strategies and the structures around developing an organization around that still exists. And, and so that's, that's the positive, but I don't see it today. And I don't see it in a lot of areas in our society, not just in sports or not just in one particular team, but that still is the formula. And if I was involved, that's what I would bring as a formula because I do know it worked because it worked in my household. It worked in my, in the, how I outreach. It worked in my children and their children. It worked in, in a job. And so it does work and it can work in a nation. Well, what about the NFL free agent market? You know, there's a lot of players don't want to go to Washington. They don't see it as a, co- a competitive team. What exact changes should the Washington football team do to get players, especially for the free agent market, to come to the Washington football team? Can I say I don't know? <laughs> <laughs> I think you do, but okay. <laughs> Hey, look, it goes back to the things that we were saying. You have to show a level of consistency in terms of how you treat people, in terms of the level of accountability Mm -hmm. that you put up on your people. It obviously goes to the level of skill and talent of the people and the coaches. So it's a process that I think they're in. I'm not saying they're not in that, but it has been a long time. Uh, and we thought we, oh, we got it now. Oh, oh, we got it now. Oh, we got it now. We thought we had it with this guy and that guy and that guy and that guy, that draft player, that player, that player. And so I think I'd have to be on the inside to really know. I, I truly, I mean, I, I made that in a joking way, but I probably would have to be on the inside because it is puzzling. It is puzzling that, that what is it that we're missing? Everybody think they know, you know, you got these talk shows and people and, and commentators, they really think they know in their local community. You know, these guys on radio, they, they, they asking questions like they really were star quarterbacks and everything else. I listen to it and I laugh all the time. You know, some of these guys never actually played football and they think they have the answer. We really don't know. I'm not sure. I am not sure that we really know. I talk about the combination of where the kids come from, the combination of the coaching, the combination, all these things that, is, that are factors. I don't know unless I was on the inside and I'm not, unless I was on the inside where I could really evaluate and really diagnose what's going on. I don't know. I'm puzzled. We're all puzzled because we always say, Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And it, and it doesn't happen. So I don't know. I really, truthfully, I don't, I don't know that anybody outside knows. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We can all make our own opinions. We can feel strongly about those opinions, but we're not in those rooms. And one of the most puzzling things to me has been the fact that people wouldn't want to go there, but it's in the middle. Like D.C., I went to school at Howard University, and I I promise D.C. is the best kept secret. Like it, if people only knew the culture, the um, the idea of Chocolate City, that DC is, you're, you're still in the DMV area. Yeah. Like, can you just express like how it was playing in your day in Chocolate City when it was really Chocolate City and um, like the evolution of DC? Well, it, you know, it, and it still has that actually, you know, people talk about um, gentrific- gentrification and, you know, I don't know what people's comments about that is, but at the end of the day, um, 
the gentrifying aspect or the or the all included aspect of it is really what I think is makes it great that it is it isn't just chocolate city but you know what you want chocolate you got it <laughs> it isn't just vanilla city but you like vanilla you got it hispanics asians indians everybody is here and everybody in this communities kind of have a shot everybody kind of have an opportunity government industry academics athletics uh uh um you know, all of the things are here. Uh, you know, when you when you think about the opportunity, academics is here. Everything is here. That kind of goes back to your point too. The Washington football team, uh, it was 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 a really in, sitting at the top of the of the pride of the community when we were really doing our thing. And I think it's a, we we need a good Washington football team. I actually believe that. I literally, I, I mean, I can't t totally explain it, but there's something about, and I, I love our, our local Wizards, our Nats, our Caps, uh, our, our Mystics. We won, uh, uh, so we won in everything, but there's something about Big Papa <laughs> in, in the Washington football team that just kind of caps off, our, in, in, at least in my history, has <clears throat> been sort of that cap capstone of our community. But we are a diverse community. We have to, like every community, get better every day. Just like in my career, I try to get better every day. We have to continue to get better, but I think you're right. You can say chocolate, vanilla, whatever, whatever, but you got it all here. And there's a and we have to lead the nation from that vantage point ac across all aspects uh, of, of, of human interaction and human activity. And that's an important factor, whether you're the mayor or you're the, you're the, you're the, you're the president or you are the quarterback of the uh, Washington football team or whatever you are, that's a part of our, the, the, uh, the way our, our city operates or whether you're the CEO of this big company or, or this group or, or you're the president of this university, George Mason University, where I'm affiliated with uh, as, a, as a staff member in athletics, it's, it's important that we as a community, cause we are the nation's uh, uh, front porch. We, you know, we call athletics the front porch of the university. Well, Washington is the front porch of the house called America. And DC is the front porch of this region and, and, all, and everything just stacks on top of that. And so it's, it's super important. We need to get and be great and be better every day in every aspects of our existence whether you're Howard University or George Mason University, whether you're our hospital system in Loudoun, uh, 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 Nova, our Nova hospital system, whatever you are in this community, you've got to always be pursuing greatness. That's just the way we're made. That's the way it has to be. And when it's not, everything gets hurt. You know, yeah. you mentioned about being surrounded with amazing people who are just... <clears throat> There's nothing like it being in the chocolate city with just people who look like you, who um, have the same similar characteristics, traits, um, and just common ground. And kind of common ground is with Doug Williams that you were able to play with, um, being the first Black quarterback who was just getting it done. How was that experience altogether? First African American quarterback to win a Super Bowl. First mm -hmm. one first one and I was on that team and 
Doug Williams, old Zachary, Louisiana boy, and, uh, you know, had, you know, you know, took his lumps growing up as a child, took his lumps going over to, uh, uh, to Tampa Bay, uh, took his lumps being pushed out of the league, took his lumps uh, coming here as a backup third seated. Uh, and, and, and when the opportunity came, he took advantage of it. And to Joe Gibbs uh, credit, uh, he pulled the trigger and said, hey, because nobody would have argued if he pulled the trigger for the other guy because they both had played kind of half the season. He went with the hot guy, <clears throat> the hot guy who was Doug, and Doug took advantage of it and and balled out, <laughs> and, and, and you know just really did a great job, and really set a historical mark, you know, in our nation uh, uh, in terms of athletics and pro pro football. That you know this foolishness about the African American man, the black man cannot think and be in that place. You may not have wanted him in that place, but it ain't because he can't operate in that place so i'm my I'm, I'm grateful that i had the privilege of playing with doug and that dude balled out and trust me he was one of the best period i had my work cut out for me every day at practice competing against him right and one thing alana and i were talking about is just like he had i think 10 starting black quarterbacks at one point um, and it was it was one Sunday and that was like unheard of. And we've been talking about that for a number of weeks. And I think that's just the trend because it's such a groundbreaker. And I, I mean, I want to talk about it to the end of the earth. How do you feel about the fact you said that they, they would talk about the fact that there was a black um, or there was a certain superiority um, where black quarterbacks couldn't necessarily play the quarterback position. How do you feel about the evolution? Uh, that, that wasn't really true. And they knew it wasn't true. I mean, it's, there's certain ways to keep people suppressed. You know, you can just lie and keep people suppressed. Say, hey, no, you can't do that. You, you know, we tell our little babies, no, you can't go over there. She can't go over there. You just don't want to go over there, dad, because you don't want to go over there and you don't want to walk over there. And, but she really can. And so you just keep her suppressed that she can't do it. You know, but at the end of the day, I think the bigger point is not so much that 10 black players are playing, but it's that there is the there is the free opportunity for any man to have the opportunity to sit at any seat. Dr. King, uh, uh, Jesus said that when James and John's mother said, let my boy sit on your left and your right. He said, look, the left and the right is prepared for the one who's prepared to sit in the left and the right seats. So if you're prepared to sit in that seat, then sit in that seat. If you're not, get out. I don't care what color you are. I don't want you to play for me because you can't play. I don't care if you're orange, yellow, or green. But the greater point is that if you are prepared, it doesn't matter what color you are. You get to play. And I think that's what Doug helped to open. And obviously, greater men than Doug before Doug that didn't get that opportunity as well. And then so these young men are, they're saying the opportunity is here. I get to sit in there, they're gonna give me a shot at it, and boom, I did it. And there's a lot of African Americans who had a chance to do it, and they didn't do it. We can name them. And then they're, they're uh, you know, so I just think that the greater part is that the opportunity is now afforded you. Go for it. And so that to me is not where we get stuck about just really black, 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 white, 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 but no, opportunity for anybody. You know, it's a free opportunity, and everybody can play. Everybody can play. And it's gonna be some white boys ball out, it's gonna be some brothers ball out too. And, and that's just the way life should be. 
and you know, you know that you know now. Here's the funny thing that that nobody really thinks about. Do you know the only position in all the pro football or maybe all the pro sports that mostly 90, I guarantee you probably 99% of the position of players are African-American. It's the mm -hmm. position I played. Why is nobody talking about that? <laughs> you know, but, I, but it's a funny story though, too. I have a, I'm, uh, many friends of all races and one of my best buddies, his son, uh, a white kid, <clears throat> uh, I trained him. And he was actually discriminated because he was white. The, the white coaches just automatically thought he can't be a corner. Mm. And I, now that, that burnt me up. And sure enough, uh, and we always, I always say, shh, don't tell him you're training with me. And he just saw him get better and better and better. And he ended up starting. He started in, in, in the senior year in high school, 5A, 6A school. And so, you know, I, again, to my point, uh, God did not create us in the concept uh, of someone is better than another or your skin, you know, your, your skin doesn't make you superior, you know, it's, it's what's on the inside of you. It's his spirit that makes you something and makes you superior over the darkness and make you right with God. And so I, I'm always want to stand up for us where, where we need to be stood up for. But then I want to also stand up for righteousness and truth, which has no color. Mm -hmm. And so, but no, that is not, that is, we, we are talking straight up talk. Uh, they did not give black men an opportunity. And the, and the reason they didn't was, it wasn't legitimate. It was a lie. It was a way to suppress them. And then eventually they said, all right, let's let it go. Let's let it go. And if they do that across the board, I think at the end of the day, everybody would be happy because it'll really even itself out. It'll be black guys this and a black guys that, a white guys that, his man. I don't know why people are so afraid of that, and particularly because of the fact that everybody has to die. Yeah. <laughs> That's that. I mean, if, if a group didn't have to die, I would say, oh yeah, shoot, you guys ain't gonna never die, y'all, y'all, y'all own this baby. But we all got. We all are born. We all got ears, and like you know, with my grandkids. I know it's is T. You know, we all got that and we all gonna roll up out of here. If somebody, a white person, can say, hey, we ain't dying. We're the we, since the beginning, we've been superior, we've never died. Y'all know. Mm. Then I'm like, dude, hey, you're right. You're right. That's not true. White people, that's not true. Black people, that's not true. Asians, Hispanics, that's not true. It's not true. We all were born and created by God and for God. And we have to operate in such a way that we please him, that we might live forever with him. And so, you know, when we get all into this stuff, it's a losing composition, proposition. It's a losing proposition because you can only go, how far can you go? Uh, 70 years. Well, how far can you go? 70, how far can you go? You can only go so far. Unless you can tell me you can go further, 200. 10,000 years, you can tell me you're gonna just do that? Then shut up mm. and get in this thing and let's try to walk together arm in arm and let's live as humans and love one another. Love your neighbor, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and your neighbor as yourself. And then everything else is good. You know, Daryl, I absolutely love that response because you're bringing everyone together as a united front. And how you mentioned about that story that you're helping others along the way, even when you've, you know, 
basically accomplished 20 seasons at the Washington football team. I mean, it continues to go, it doesn't stop just because you, you know, hung up your helmet, which is, which is amazing. But when you were on the field, you had an interesting ritual. Tell us about that. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, <clears throat> you ever heard of the story, this thing that you say, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story, you guys are young, but there was a guy in, in radio or TV and they would say, Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. So it's like getting the, oh, that's the rest of the story. I didn't hear the rest of it. The Tootsie Rolls. I used to get Tootsie Rolls from a guy who was a statistician locally at the game, and he would give me Tootsie Rolls. And I put them in my sack, and I eat them throughout the game. One day, I started getting Tootsie Rolls mailed to the facility, boxes and boxes. And I'm, I'm going, I'm like, what? What is this? Why is everybody sending me Tootsie Rolls? And I'm, I don't get it. I really don't get it. <clears throat> it was a few years after that, <clears throat> that I was at home and I was watching, I think it was NFL Network. And it was, and it was showing me on the film, warming up, it was doing warm-ups before the game and the camera was on me. And I was like, Tootsie Rolls, make your rough ass. I saw that watching TV and I thought, that's where that comes from. The whole world knew I do Tootsie Rolls because I did that on TV. But here's the truth. Tootsie Rolls don't make you run fast. I didn't go buy them. The guy gave them to me. And I'm not going to dab Tootsie Roll up because they didn't give me an advertisement or anything. And the guy gave them to me. And they did not make me run fast. I was just having fun and being silly. So parents, don't go buy Tootsie Rolls for your kids. It doesn't work. Man. <laughs> Speaking of money, because they should have definitely paid you for that. Because that was that's a come on, ass. man. They should pay you retroactively from the time you play to now. Are you an attorney? Yeah, <laughs> I'm working one. on it. Hey, come on now, come on. Let's do this. Let's do this. <laughs> we got that's your first client. Look, I look. Okay, I'm gonna hold you to that. The whole world knows that I was <laughs> representing Tutu Road. And you know what? Tootsie Rolls taste good. I love Tootsie Rolls. I just say they don't make you run fast. <laughs> but speaking of money, Dak Prescott, that's a big topic. Not them, well, really, the Cowboys not wanting to pay that man. And then he takes a season injury, ending injury. What are your thoughts on Dak, Dak's injury? And just like, that? that's a sore spot within a lot of fans. Thank you. Can't agree with you. Can't agree with you. Uh, three or four years ago, Kirk Cousins did the same thing twice. Twice. He just did not bust his leg or knee or whatever the case. It's in the process of business, and you have to look at things for what they are. He he was he was he was he was definitely no less or more than Kirk Cousins. And Kirk Cousins, in my opinion, wasn't worth the money that he got. And I and he's my friend. And I'm just, I'm talking straight talk, but he was, he was worth it in that the system provides for it. And, and he made X amount of money two years in a row, according to what the standard was. And then in the third year, he was able to go to another city. Dak would have got the same thing if, if, if he would have followed the Kirk Cousins strategy, which he was trying to do potentially. He just got hurt. So come on. I mean, what are you saying? He, he just... He got hurt. He was following. Every team has the right 
to utilize the system. Don't cheat the system and say the brother can't play because he's not smart enough and try to fake and say he, you know, no, they let him play. So come on, let's tell the truth. Shame the devil, as they used to say. Let's tell the truth. The guy was operating within the system of the league that they put in place, the union and everybody. And for him, it did not go the fairytale way that Kirk Cousins went. That's it. End of story. End of story. He's no better or less than, than Kirk Cousins, and Kirk Cousins had twice. That's my story, and I'm sticking with sticking it. Sticking with it. Your witness. Your witness, <laughs> counsel. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I, I understand. I'm, I'm, I agree with you 100%. It, it's really interesting, and this is not the first time that we're seeing this whatsoever, but great players should be getting paid because of their, you know, what they're bringing to the field. <laughs> getting paid. What, what's his salary this year? Oh. It's a, it's a lot more than mine. <laughs> and mine. He is getting paid. Yeah, yeah. This, this is the program. Come on now. Come on now. You got, hey, black, white, yellow, brown. You got to speak the truth. It's the truth that sets us free. We got to speak the truth and we have to look at things and analyze them and speak. You know, I used to always do that with my kids, you know, my wife, you know, and, you know, well, you know, I, no, I want to know the truth. I want to know the truth. Did he talk back? Did he say this? Did he say that? I'm not going to just stand there for him because he's my boy. I'm going to hold him accountable to doing what's right. Not just because he's my, he's my dog, my boy, my friend, and my child. Mm -hmm. And I think that what I just said is, is clear as day. Right. He got the same situation. And that team has the right as owners to manage their money and manage their processes the way they want to do them. And, and that was that. The, the Washington team did twice with Kurt and then let him go. They they were they were able to, they were able to say let me see two more years because I've got the freedom and the right to do that let me see and then you have the right after those two years to move on Kurt and so that's so we just make that deal that's what the union made the deal that's what the players agreed to so there it is when it when they activate it you can't get mad if they activate the program you can't get mad. Now, if you get injured, man, hey, Lord help him. I pray for miracle, mercy and a miracle on his body. Now, Bleacher Report has you reported as one of the best players ever to play at the Washington football team. So who is your, if you could name five players, who would you think would be the greatest that came out of the Washington football team? Well, you know, Oh, I, I was in, I'm, I'm a part of the greatest 100 players, 100 yes. year season. They celebrate 100 players. So any player that's not on that from Washington can't even compare that he could be in the top 100. Because <laughs> the whole league said I'm one of the greatest in the 100. Now, see, that sounds arrogant, doesn't it? It just means no. it's, it, all it is is it's true. <laughs> no, truthfully, Art Monk, matter of fact, my wife was just talking about him this morning. Uh, Art Monk, uh, John Riggins, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, the whole, that whole offensive line was just a great offensive line. Uh, you know, Gary Clark, wide receivers, these guys were, it's, uh, Kenny Houston and the guys I didn't play with, you know, I won't even speak to that. I'll just speak to the guys, but Art Monk was one of the greater guys and John Riggins, certainly, uh, Joe Theismann, Charles Mann, just, it's so many got great players that we had, um, 
on that team, you know, like I said, the Hogs, uh, led by Russ Grimm and Joe Colby, who who everybody agrees, and I do too. He should be a Hall of Famer as well. But 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 the Hall of Famers are the greatest players, and you know, uh, Jesus said, "The greatest shall meet shall be your ser- shall be your servant." Uh, you know, and I think you know what I consider great pe- great people has to be a part of what I consider a great player. Because I don't believe in separating. Like they say, man, this guy is so talented, but he don't know his plays. Well, he he can't be the best player because you're gonna take his brain and separate it from his body. I think that a great player is also a great human. So I do struggle with that a lot of times because just because you can play great but you can't live great, ah, I, I don't know. I struggle with that a lot, you know. So I, you know, that's why I, you know, the whole idea of being a uh, 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 a four star, like a four star, like, uh, uh, you know, they used to call it in high school, all Americans and five star. And, you know, I think that if you, you if you, I, I used to call it these five 100s, if you, and this is something for all of you guys that if you can take four or five things and give 100% to, I didn't say 20, 20, 40, 60, 80, 100. Uh uh-uh. uh. My wife won 100%, not 20%. God wants 100%, not 20%. My job, 100%. My children, 100%. And my work outside of my job, my nonprofit, my service work, deserves 100%. So five things, 100. And if you can do that, and that's what I try to do. I try to be a Hall of Fame husband, which I am. Hall of Fame in my job, which I am. I want to be a Hall of Fame in the kingdom of God. I pray he will determine that. Hall of Fame and my service to my community and a Hall of Fame dad. And I didn't say another five, another, I'm not giving 100% to a chick on the side or selling dope or mistreating people, just five unique things. But I want to give 100% to each, 100% to each, not not 20%, not 40%, not 150%. Because 150% leaves only 50 left for that other thing. And that's why you see guys, lose their marriages. They, they give 130, 150 to their job, but their marriage is doo-doo. And their kids don't know them or love them. They don't love God. And so you want to be 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. God, 100. Family, 100. Children, 100. Wife, uh, husband, 100. Uh, something outside of yourself. The volunteering, 100. You, you 100, 100, 100. I, I share this all around the United States in the Strong You Strong community program that I do with youth all around the country. But that's been my formula and it works. It works. I'm a great husband, great dad. I did it in my job. I'm doing it in the church by the grace of God and I'm serving people that are not paying me. Hmm. So 100, 100, 100, 100, 100. Take that and run with that young people and talk about that and have a conversation around that in your youth group. All right, we're gonna run with that and I want to talk to just like our final two questions for you. My final one is a, is a two-folded question, right? You talk about these things and there's the five, the five 100, that's not a normal thing for a lot of people. You have this fortitude and this strength, which is why you're a hall of famer, which is why you have all the accolades that you have, but you were, you did all this stuff as the itty bitty guy. And just like recently you ran a four, four, three, like, how are you able to, like, really push yourself to achieve this greatness? 
on back in your playing days and then currently? So for clarification, I'm 60 years old. I hadn't ran. I didn't run a recent time. I ran uh, 10 years and at 50. That's when I ran at 44. So, <laughs> but, and I'm gonna, I'm about to run soon too. I've got something that's coming out big. I'm gonna reach out to y'all yes, about that. Please do. <clears throat> so here, here's the, here's the Paul Harvey, the rest of the story. I didn't plan on being a pro football player. <laughs> I started football on JV in 11th grade in 1977, six or whatever. Because uh, it was what they call extracurricular activity. I wasn't playing football to be a pro football player and go to college and make money. I, I just tried out because I wanted to be a kid and I was, man, I want to play. And I, I made the JV in 11th grade. And then I got a little incentive to try to make the varsity as a senior. It's a little drive. I went to college. I dropped out after my buddy got killed in a car wreck after one semester. I didn't get a scholarship. It's a division NAIA. It wasn't even a big time school in that sense. And I dropped out after one semester. I went home, went to night school, drove a furniture truck, went back a year and a half later, played three seasons, first round draft pick. But I got saved and became a Christian, a man after God. And so when I came to Washington, D.C., I didn't come here as a pro football player to be 20 years and all that. I came here to be a man and a godly man. And so uh, and I married my wife and we lived faithful and godly lifestyle. And this is coming off of a lifestyle that was an ungodly lifestyle had a child out of wedlock, lived in a bad experience, but I got saved and got redeemed. So I, I'm, I'm, that whole itty bitty God thing is like, to me, I'm like, what in the, what is like, what just happened? How did I, a buck 73, my first year, and a probably a buck 45, my first year of college. But I remember, I'm not from this generation. I'm not from this time of of, of talk radio and TV and Madden games and all that stuff. And my Houston Oilers, who you may have never heard of, Houston Texans are not the Houston Oilers. The Houston Oilers are in Tennessee. And so the, the, the Tennessee Titans are the Oilers. They didn't, they wasn't big time winners at that time. They weren't always on TV. And I wasn't really a big TV guy watching TV in those seventies and sixties. And so my whole experience is totally different. So you have to put it in context that this has been the sovereignty of God. This has been, I was born and called to be here, meet my wife in Tyson's Corner in that time on Christmas Eve in 1983. I had to get there to meet her. I had to meet uh, my pastor, Brett, who's my best friend, who I've been with this church for 30 some years. All this stuff is the sovereign hand of God that I'm here and I can go anywhere. My hands are clean. I, the integrity of God is over my life. I don't have any skeletons, no chicks on the side. I'm just, I am just a guy. I'm just a guy that's born by the spirit and saved by grace, trying to do everything I can to please my father who is in heaven. And so in the meantime, oh, by the way, I played pro football and I'm a hall of famer. And so it just, it's not, it's not, I don't see it the same way. I'm grateful every day when I wake up. I was grateful. I used to have a saying, I go out to practice, and I said, coach, man, ain't you glad you didn't die yesterday? Mm -hmm. What a blessing that we have to play a childhood game, be out here under the sun. And so I've always, by the grace of God, I've, I've had a, a way of thinking and a, and a great and a level of humility and thanksgiving that God could make me a gazillionaire. And, and I'm going to always remember what, what the sinful life that I came from and that I've been redeemed deemed that he saved me and so nothing can 
surpass his salvation and his gift forgiveness for me. So any riches or fame or recognition or honor, it's just, oh, thank y'all. And then I'll use it. I'll use it, Moses. I'll use it. It's in my hand now. I got more things in my hand. He continues to give me things in my hand. Streets named after me, greatest 100, Hall of Fame, Pro Bowl, Super Bowl. I got all these things in my hand that I can use to steer the sheep. I can use to open the door. I can use to give the, bring the access. I can use to bring a blessing. So I'm not that guy. I'm, I'm just not. I'm not, and I'm every day of my life, I, I start over new. The Bible says his mercies are new every day, and I need them every day. I, and here's a funny thing. I, I never stacked my career. I played 21, I played one year, 20 times. I didn't stack them. I didn't stack money. I didn't stack fame. I, I just, every day I go back. Every year I went back to that same fear of the Lord moment, rookie, freshman, you know, scared, humbled, one of, I didn't stack them and become not nah, girl. I'm Jewel. Hey, look, you know what? I, I'm, I'm, I'm done with this marriage. You know, it's 10 years now, you know, you ain't got the swag you used to have, you know, I ain't got no hair. I'm, I'm doing a different thing now. No, 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 no. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And, and, and his, and his mercies endure forever. And I want to access them every day. And I'm not, I am, I'm not all that. I'm not, man, Daryl Green, I'm not all that. I'll take that and put it in my hand and use it, but I ain't gonna never drink it. I will never drink it. I will never, do not drink it. I'm writing a book called The Paradoxical Journey. The paradox of, hey, how you doing? I'm Daryl. Man, you're Daryl Green. That's okay. So wait a minute, wait a minute. I know I'm Daryl and you still, Daryl Green, that's a paradox. And you know, no human being is created and meant to be celebrated like that. Do you know that? Nobody, white, black, yellow, brown, sorry people, you're not meant to be above somebody else, treated better. You, yes, we're not made for that. We're not, I'm sorry, you're not. You can be acknowledged, hey man, that was great, you did good. But when we begin, to, we're not physiologically, psychologically, no other logically made to take in all that worship and honor without Jesus being inside of our heart to process it because if it don't, it'll turn you into, I was about to say some names, but as a lot of names, a lot of names from the highest level in this country to the lowest level in this country, to athletics, you name it, doctors, all of them. When human beings in this chapter says, it's called the E-H-H-C-S, write that down, the E-H-H-C-S, excessive human to human celebration syndrome. That's what destroys people. A lot of them are dead now that you've seen in the last several years and a lot of them are walking around now and their problem, they've been celebrated by other human beings and they're just not made and fit for it. And it morphs them into something jacked up. And by the grace of God, I'm gonna stay behind Jesus. I'm gonna stay under the blood. I'm gonna stay under his, under his covering. I'm never gonna step out and say, yeah, I'm the man. No, I'm not. Because you know what? I can't guarantee you I'm going to wake up tomorrow. That's my story. And I'm sticking to it. I love you guys. Y'all the, no, the best. You're the best. And everyone who's listening or in right now, they should be taking notes because you are literally dropping knowledge. So I have the final question. And it's a tough question. All right. That's all right. right. Are you ready? Who do you think will win <laughs> the NFS, NFC East? 
Well, the first one to two out of eight or something wins. So uh, that's my that's a that's my scientific formula. The first team that wins two games out of eight or six or nine wins wins the league. So we're, we're down to that. We're down to that. <laughs> That's what we're down to. Man, we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you so much. Just down to win two, three games, and you got it. The NFL. That's- <laughs> the NFC East. The NFC East. Yes. That's the hey, they, they can't, hey, they can't get mad at me. It's true. It's true. No. No. You're, you're spitting <laughs> ultimate facts. This entire episode has just been nothing but facts. Hats off to you. We are just um, privileged to be able to interview you. I always say God is working in my life. And so I'm glad that somebody else is, you know, um, with that as far as the, the faithfulness on, yeah. on in, to that regard. But they can find you on Instagram at Green 28 correct? Yeah. Oh, so thank you so thank much you, for um, thank you so knowing much. the family and answering the DM. So uh, we could get you on riled up for our listeners. But where else can people find content from you or... Um, what your net project is. Yeah. So yeah, they can catch me at, you know, they kept me on Twitter, Twitter as well. I have to check on that. And then I think the Instagram is the official Daryl green. I'm not sure. I, I, I'm not yeah. as in that as much as I should be, but if they shoot me some, I'll respond back to them. But I just want to just back up and say, uh, you young ladies are, you know, you guys are very thoughtful. You're not just, you know, some, you know, flip it. You know, you guys are serious about what you do. You 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 put a lot of in it, thought into what you're talking about. Some things I said that that did not. I don't know if you had heard it before or was in line with your thought. And I could see you saying, "Hey, okay." And you've got it. You've got to stay open. I do too. You got to stay open and have conversation with people and see their vantage points, regardless of the audience watching us and talk talk sincerity and truth. And so I, you guys have that. You guys are going to be, I, I want this to go down as, as marked that as um, uh, a long time making extraordinary impact. I believe that. I'm not just, I'm not just talking just be, because I see it. I see it. I see it by the spirit. I'm glad to be on with you guys. I hope to get, get on again. Let's just, let's we talk. And then also, oh and also uh, even, uh, and, and, and I, obviously uh offline uh, you know I'm, I'm 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 a dad a grandpa and everything else if i ever can do anything for you i'm right here absolutely thank you so much right. that, that really touched my heart thank you okay well thank you so much ladies and gentlemen for tuning in to another episode of riled up you guys spoke it in um we are serious when we say dm us and tell us who you want to see on the show because you don't know how god wants to move and he he moved miraculously and this was able to come to so DM us again, hit us up, riled up. You can follow me on Instagram at TT Legend. And you can follow Alana on Twitter and Instagram at Alana Bearfield. So thank you guys. And remember to stay riled up.